Never before so much paralyzing terror. The sadistic leader of the bloody brood, whose only philosophy is anything goes. What's up, weirdos, and welcome to the Weirdoverse. I'm J.D. Ross, the voice of the unusual, purveyor of the strange, and you're listening to Weird Wide, the weirdest podcast in this and probably other conceivable realities. So we're only a few episodes in by now, and if uh, you like what you're hearing, consider dropping a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to follow the page, leave a comment. Also, if you have uh, anything you're just dying to tell me, uh, maybe you just want to say hi. Maybe you have a topic you'd like to see me cover, uh, or just have a weird story that uh, you want me to tell to all the weirdos at home, send me an email at weirdwidepodcast at gmail.com. Maybe you've had a strange encounter with aliens, maybe a badass haunting story. I want to hear it. So give me the weirdest you've got now before we jump into today's topic uh, i got a little story time for you here uh i feel like it kind of pertains a little bit to the topic at hand so everybody at home if you're not familiar with the band the atomic bitch wax uh i highly recommend that you check them out uh members of monster magnet uh they're an awesome stoner metal band excellent band okay so that's where we're starting with that now i happen to live in a small town and there are definite drawbacks to living in a small town one of them is the extremely uh backwards people uh i don't know if backwards is the right way to put it uh unaccepting people different you know small-minded people so i like to uh i like to ruffle feathers as much as i can so i've got a uh, atomic bitch wax t-shirt that i like to wear around town as often as i can uh i walked into a convenience store the other day and as i was bringing up my transaction uh the lady behind the counter she looked at me and uh she was trying to see what my shirt says and it was just this this moment of this this older lady just the atomic bitch wax total confusion total confusion i'm sure she thought that i was an absolute weird motherfucker and i absolutely love that uh so uh you know doing my part to ruffle the feathers and to mess with the heads of the small town folk that i live amongst now on to today's topic i have a thousand kilotons of weird for you today we're going to be talking about one of the weirdest eras in american history a time of unprecedented technological advancement, as well as collective paranoia. Today, we're going to be talking about the Atomic Age. Now, technically, I guess we've never really left the Atomic Age. Uh, to this day, we still live in fear of atomic annihilation. Even more so, it seems, with the Ukrainian war still very much raging. It's odd, you know, I, I do record these episodes in advance, uh, so they don't immediately release. So anything could have happened along these lines between uh, recording and release. As I record this, nukes have not fallen, but that doesn't mean they won't. But the era we're looking at lasted between the 1940s and the 1960s-ish. So let's take a look at what events led up to the atomic age and what society looked like through this dreadful lens. Now, to get an understanding, we really need to go back to the beginning. So radioactivity's potential was first discovered by physicist 
Ernest Rutherford, the so-called father of nuclear physics, and radiochemist Frederick Soddy. Now, doing their research at McGill University in Montreal, they noted that radioactivity was part of the process that atoms change from one form to another and release energy. Soddy envisioned a utopian future harnessing the power of the atom to turn Earth into, as he called it, a smiling Garden of Eden. It's always really sad when such a discovery is made. The one who makes it, you know, makes the discovery, they always envision nothing but the world just coming together in beautiful harmony, harnessing, you know, the power of atomic energy to reshape the planet as if by the hand of God himself or herself, only for the more sinister amongst us to turn such a potential wonderful source of energy into a weapon. Doesn't it always go that way? Now, that said, Saudi wasn't a fool. He was fully aware that his new discovery, while potentially with great benefit to mankind, could also be capable of unleashing terrible new weapons upon the earth. Saudi lived until uh, 1956, so he witnessed the birth of atomic weapons and how sad he must have been to have had his thought proven true. Now, let's fast forward a little bit to 1938, when German scientist Otto Hahn and his assistant Fritz Strassmann discovered nuclear fission. Those have got to be the two most German names I've ever heard. Otto Hahn and Fritz Strassmann. Now, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not really totally sure that I fully understand what nuclear fission even is. It's a reaction in which the nucleus of an atom splits into two or more nuclei, producing gamma protons and releasing a vast amount of energy. Again, I'm no scientist. I'm simply a wise-ass podcaster with a propensity towards weird shit. But from what I gather on that, whatever and however fission works equals big bada boom. Now, if you actually are a scientist, uh, don't forget to send, send me an email uh, and you know, correct any, any nonsense that uh, my research has uncovered here. Maybe you can even explain it better to me. Now, said big bada boom can either be used to produce energy or be used in a destructive force that, honestly, I'm not sure we as a species are evolved enough to handle yet. Uh, we like to think that we're a mega advanced and enlightened species, but we're still extremely tribalistic and oftentimes very warlike. Some individuals among us can create and expand knowledge in the name of science and advancement, and they do. Um, but it's almost always stolen by le the less intelligent and used to harm our fellow humans. It's one of the reasons that a lot of UFO encounters do occur around nuclear installations. Uh, they are trying to tell us something. And they're trying to tell us that we're headed for something terrible. That's what I believe anyway. Now, the late 1930s is bad timing for such a discovery. If you'll recall from history class, there was kind of a big kerfuffle going on in Europe as World War II was starting to heat up. Now, obviously, the U.S. didn't get involved right away, but we sure as fuck had our eyes on the situation. Now, fearing that Hitler had plans for the development of some form of superweapon, the U.S. began the Manhattan Project in 1942 with the backing of Canada and the UK. Now, can you imagine what a psycho like Hitler would have done if he'd gotten his hands on nukes? Let's be real. He was looking at ways to build up better weapon systems. Hell, the Nazis were even looking into supernatural means of expanding their power, all based on these weird, fucked up beliefs that they were some kind of master race destined to rule for generations or whatever the fuck they were, they were on about. Bunch of fucking nonsense. But if Hitler had beaten the rest of the world to the punch, things would have almost certainly turned out different. England, as we know it, would have almost surely been all but wiped off the map. 
And the world would look a lot more like that show, The Man in the High Castle, one with the fictional uh, historical timeline where the Nazis actually won. Great show, by the way. Total mindfuck. Hell, in some even more fucked up alternate universe, this podcast is probably being recorded in German and being closely monitored by the Reich. Luckily, though, and as fucked up as this particular part of reality can be, the Manhattan Project beat the Germans in the nuclear race. At some point, I really do want to do a full episode just on the Manhattan Project. It's a fascinating time in history. The first ever nuclear bomb, codenamed Trinity, was detonated at Jornada del Muerto in the, in the New Mexico desert at 529 p.m. on July 16th, 1945 as a culmination of the Manhattan Project. Informally nicknamed the Gadget, the bomb tested here was the same design as Fat Man that would be dropped on Nagasaki about a month later. This detonation officially pushed the U.S. into the atomic age. This is the test that Robert Oppenheimer, the lead uh, scientist on the project, said his famous phrase. As he watched the mushroom cloud and the incredible devastating power that he had helped create, he uttered a passage from Hindu scripture. Now I am become death, destroyer of worlds. Honestly, putting aside the complete nightmare scenario that is nuclear weapons, this is one of the most metal moments that any scientist has ever had in, in fucking history. With the backdrop of the world's first nuclear detonation, this guy says, now I am become death, destroyer of worlds. How fucking metal is that? Now, another little tidbit about the Manhattan Project, because I can't stay off of aliens for too long, uh, is one of the scientists involved was Enrico Fermi, who famously, during a lunch conversation, posited the Fermi paradox, in which, in UFO lore, specifically on the more skeptical side, is often used to try to say that aliens don't exist. Pretty sure the Drake equation put that to bed, but again, that's a conversation for another episode. Now, with the Trinity test complete and nuclear power firmly in the hands of the Allied forces, the first and so far, as of this recording, only use of nuclear weapons was authorized in wartime by then-President Harry S. Truman, and nuclear power was unleashed upon Japan. On August 6th, Little Boy was dropped on Hiroshima, and days later, Fat Man was dropped on Nagasaki, causing Japan to surrender on August 16th, ending the war in the Pacific Theater. Fun little side note to that. There was actually a guy I read about. Uh, I can't remember his name. He actually survived both atomic bombs. He was on a business trip in Hiroshima on the 6th when the bomb fell. He survived and then went home to Nagasaki in time for Fat Man to be dropped on it. Could you imagine surviving two fucking nuclear bombs? Like, at some point, you've got to think, God has it in for me. Fuck. Absolute mindfuck. Now, as World War II drew to a close, the world breathed a collective sigh of relief. But with the use of such immense power used for the first time in warfare, a new level of tension began to grip the world. We had entered the atomic age. Many optimists believed, much like Frederick Soddy had, that this new era would be one of peace and prosperity, all thanks to nuclear power. There was belief that society would revolve around atomic energy, from food to medicine to power, and eventually space travel. The optimism wasn't completely far off, but as with anything else that humankind touches, there's a negative side to that coin. Soviet Union, who had been an ally in World War II, conducted their first nuclear test in 1949. And of course, because humans are fucking stupid, with Europe in near ruin and no clear enemy to unite against, 
Soviets in the U.S. entered into a long-standing culture war. Instead of direct aggression, many proxy wars were fought for decades to come, uh, as the two biggest powers on Earth now were both nuclear-equipped. We entered the Cold War. One side believing that capitalism was the only good and righteous way to live, while the other side promoted communism as the true answer. I got to say, you know, the more and more, you know, I think about either side of that, uh, they're both absolutely with their failings. I got to quote Ferris Bueller on this one. Isms, in my opinion, are not good. Realistically, both sides have caused incredible suffering in their own ways. Both on paper are great, but left unchecked, and they always are. They lead to the same result. One group having all the power and the people underneath suffering for it. Right now, with inflation out of control, I would say that we're seeing the effects of unchecked capitalism, and it's not pretty. Now, with the U.S. locked in an unseen war, there became an ever-growing fear that the Cold War could suddenly get very hot. There seemed to be this kind of yin-yang thought pattern in the collective psyche of American society. On one hand, capitalism was going to take technology to untold wonders. Energy would be provided by this new atomic power to a degree that meters would actually have been removed completely because the new source of energy would be too cheap to meter. Even cars would be nuclear-powered. Ford showcased the uh, Ford Nucleon, a nuclear-powered car that did not rely on an internal combustion engine. It was only a prototype, and so far we've actually not seen anything like that. How cool would that be, though? I have seen pictures of it. It looks fucking cool. Basically, a near-utopian society, similar to how pre-war is uh, often depicted in the Fallout game series. I gotta say, as far as uh, the, the vibe of the Atomic Age... That game series really hits the mark. But on the other hand, constant and growing fear of nuclear weapons permeated the minds of just about everyone. As thousands of nuclear tests were conducted on both sides, the power of atomic weapons grew exponentially. In the early 1950s, the United States Civil Defense began educational efforts to prepare uh, citizens for the now likely event of nuclear war. And a series of now famous videos were produced. I have to say, researching this episode, I watched so many of these videos, a lot of which basically come off as propaganda, could not help but laugh. Uh, They're all available on YouTube. If you want to check them out, I highly recommend you do so. It's an amazing time capsule. So probably the most famous is 1952's Duck and Cover. Let's set the scene. A paranoid cartoon turtle named Bert, with a helmet strapped to his noggin, was walking down the road, happily smelling flowers, minding his own business, because Bert is America. America doesn't do anything wrong, right? Right? Suddenly, an angry monkey descends from the trees, and this monkey just happens to have a lit stick of dynamite dangling down from a string towards poor Bert. The monkey, obviously representing the evil soviet union who were coming to get you but fear not bert knows exactly what to do seeing the danger that bert has found himself in he takes quick action bert ducks into his shell right as the dynamite goes off and the monkey is killed by his own bomb but bert bert's safe it then cuts to a classroom and robert middleton in front of a classroom of school children telling them all uh, that when they see the flash of the atomic bomb the only way to save themselves is to quickly duck 
and cover. The film has a very stereotypical 50s accent going on. That's right, kids. You're going to want to duck and cover. In the event that nuclear bombs fall, which is very likely, they will destroy everything around you. Your only chance of survival is to duck and cover. Uh-huh. Now, duck and cover has rightfully been heavily mocked over the years since its release. Many calling it Red Scare propaganda, kind of is, calling the general advice useless. Now, it also has been analyzed in the decades since its release. And while anyone in the blast zone following the advice may as well have been instructed, put your head between your legs and kiss your ass goodbye. Anyone not directly in the epicenter actually could benefit from ducking and covering, mainly because while... They may not be immediately disintegrated. There would be the uh, risk of significant significant shrapnel from windows that ducking and covering actually could provide some protection against. It's even uh, been analyzed that even covering with a thin blanket or newspaper like is done in the film has said to at least partially shield one from the inevitable radiation fallout. It's absolute mindfuck to think about, like when you really stop and think about it. Like we had school children being taught by authority figures what to do in the event of a nuclear attack running drills on what to do if the mother of all bombs happens to fall right on them. Can't even imagine the anxiety that would create. Definitely comparable to today's active shooter drills. Uh, Kids back then had a constant fear uh, in the back of their heads. At any moment, they could see a mushroom cloud. Just like today, kids have a similar fear in the back of their heads that any moment some wackadoodle could rush into their classroom and start opening up a magazine on them. When you really stop and think about it, we live in a severely fucked society and kind of always have. Utopia, my ass. Now, as if the stakes weren't high enough, one of the next major events in atomic weapons history somehow managed to up the ante even further. On March 1st, 1954, at Bikini Atoll, the Castle Bravo test was conducted. One of the most significant weapons tests, Castle Bravo's blast was more than double what they had predicted it was going to be and caused an unexpected radiation contamination east of Bikini. Uh, bikini, by the way, uh, the uh, the swimsuit uh, does get its name from Bikini Atoll during this time when bikini fashion did start to rise. It actually did come from this. Radiation fell upon the Rongalap and Euteric Atolls. I'm sure I just butchered both of those, so I, I really apologize. Rongalap, Rongalap, and Euteric, and radiated particles spread across the world. Now, the residents of the two islands were not immediately evacuated. They weren't evacuated until three days later and all suffered radiation sickness. Even more, 23 crew members of a Japanese fishing vessel, the Daigo Fukuryu Maru, again, I'm sorry if I, if I fucked that up, uh, translated to the most ironically named Lucky Dragon Number 5, were also infected. Japan had to be so over our ship by this point. Now, this event actually did lead to the creation of one of Japan's most iconic artistic creations, Godzilla. Castle Bravo sparked intense international debate about uh, atmospheric thermonuclear testing, realizing the vast danger that involved not only the blast, but now also the deadly radiation that followed. A new cartoon educational video was released in 1959 called Fallout, When and How to Protect Yourself. I love that the go-to approach is this bizarre edutainment. Hey, kids, come over and watch a cartoon about nuclear devastation. Pay attention now. Now, anyone familiar with the Fallout game series, I feel like we're going to be referencing them a lot through this episode, will instantly recognize the style here. It looks like it could have been literally pulled from any of the games. 
The narrator walks an everyday Joe through what to do regarding fallout after a nuke has fallen. With advice such as putting a plate outside and examining it every 15 minutes, if dust has accumulated, it's probably fallout. There's also this uh, very take steps to be safe, but also the government will be there to help you vibe to it. Uh, definitely uh, not, not, not loving that because I, I don't feel like that's true. You know, they, they basically talk about at one point, uh, there's going to be crews of professionals from civil defense. We'll be out to monitor the radiation and help pull you and your family to safety. Mm, bullshit. There was even two dedicated AM radio frequencies for receiving information from civil defense. Conrad frequency 640 and 1240. There was actually a law that every radio manufactured between 1953 and 1963 were required to display the civil defense CD mark logo on 640 and the 1240 AM spots. So everyone knew to turn to the dial for the information. And apparently the way they were going to do it is uh, they, they would when 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 the shit hit the fan, the plan was they would have this kind of rotating radio station thing so that enemies couldn't track it. So it would like one station broadcast on, on 640 and 1240. Then it would like 15 minutes ago by it would go to another station and it would just kind of keep going like that to try to confuse the enemy. So tension over the potential nuclear threat was palpable. And this led to the advent of a very interesting facet of society during the atomic age, the fallout shelter. Several official sites were implemented for government officials. One such site that was established specifically for the continuity of government was called Project Greek Island. It was a secret bunker located at the Greenbrier Hotel in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. It was a secret location that would uh, be used to move Congress to in the event of nuclear war. It was decommissioned after it was exposed in 1992 by the Washington Post. It was never until then nobody knew about it. I wonder if you could still go there. I wonder if like, you could still go into the bunker part of that. It'd be pretty sweet. There was even plans for a vast underground fallout shelter network outlined by Nelson Rockefeller, Edward Teller, Edward Kahn, and Chet Holyfield. Chet. Who the fuck's, who the fuck's name is Chet? Fuck, that guy was like a leader. That guy was a leader in our society with the name Chet. Now, the idea was that millions could seek refuge in these vast underground facilities. And while a vast, massive underground concrete network never came to be, various initiatives did come to pass. Until 2017, there was many buildings around New York that had, the, had these distinctive yellow signs indicating that they could be used as fallout shelters. This was due to uh, an initiative that Kennedy actually put forth. So these were part of a government-sponsored and funded effort to maintain shelters that could house up to 12 million people. During the atomic age, these shelters were equipped with MREs, meals ready to eat. Those are the uh, ready-made meals that the military gets. I've actually had those. They're pretty good. Um, I enjoy them. Uh, it's, it's kind of fun to eat them. But, uh, it, it, fun to take along on a camping trip. Uh, they had cots and they had military-grade first aid equipment to house and take care of the 12 million people. Now, as the fear of nuclear attack continued to permeate into everyday life, the concept of a home shelter became kind of a part of normal everyday life. The idea of having a personal bunker to ride out the apocalypse was increasingly attractive to the majority of Americans. Civil Defense put out a cheery DIY instructional video called Walt Builds a Family Fallout Shelter. It has this aw shucks every man named Walt. He shows his neighbors just how fantastic, convenient, and easy it is to build a fallout shelter in their basement. Telling his neighbors about how he and Ruth would rather be safe than sorry. And his neighbor saying, Say, Walt, remember how I was saying that I was considering putting a dark room in my basement? Why, 
shucks. This would just make the perfect dark room, wouldn't it? It would keep you protected from nuclear fallout, too. This vibe of, oh, yeah, I'm literally prepping for Armageddon. But look what else you can use it for. Great when the grandkids come to visit. Or if you have guests staying over that just want a little bit of privacy. Pay no attention to the impending due. In fact, focus on how great it is to have this shelter. Look on the positive side. After Walt talks up how great it is, he proceeds to tell them that it isn't even that hard to make. And the whole video turns into an instructional video on how to build it. After Walt finishes his shelter, they decide to get real on you. The director of civil defense, Leo Huey, 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 shows up sitting in his office. So you have this uh, picture of 60s white guy authority staring at you all serious. He goes on to say that he has a fallout shelter. You should be like Walt, have one too. Gets super propaganda at the end, talking about how not only is this a great defense for your family, but a spare bedroom. And you can contribute to the greatness of America as a further deterrent in the war effort. This is the nuclear age. This dude definitely was like a, you could tell he was like a chain smoker who hadn't smoked in about 15 minutes because they had to get him ready for the fucking, for the fucking video. He had like these just kind of fucking psycho eyes. This guy was in charge of civil defense, psycho eyes. And you could tell he was only, he was maybe two minutes away from ranting about the red menace. You know, we got, we got the commies. The commies are going to, uh, they're going, the commies, the commies are going to be dropping the bomb any day now. You need, you need. A fallout shelter. If you don't have a fallout shelter, you're not even an American. You will be investigated by the Committee of Un-American Activities. You will be sent to jail. You will be sent to the gulags. That's the vibe I got. So it definitely was a weird time. Uh, But I will say that uh, some of the pop culture that came out of the Atomic Age was some of the best pop culture that we've gotten, actually. I would say a lot of it stands up. Uh, So let's look at some of the uh, let's look at some of the pop culture births of the Atomic Age. Now, we talked about the Fallout games. Uh, I feel like they very much capture the full spirit of the Atomic Age because they always do like kind of like a look at pre-war. Like this is what pre-war looked like. This is what it looks like after devastation. So it, like they, 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 they have this fun with it. You know, they, they take like like they take this like, oh, 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 look at me, American bullshit. And then they show you the real side of it. It's uh, I feel like it hits the mark really well. Now, we talked about Godzilla. So the Lucky Dragon number five, uh, that was actually an inspiration for Godzilla. The creator of Godzilla actually used the, used the event to kind of fuel his ideas for nuclear devastation leading to a monster. And the monster was personified as Godzilla, still one of the most popular kaiju in Japanese culture. Now, I love the Twilight Zone. I think Rod Serling was an absolute goddamn genius. He was ahead of his time. Uh, he always had a message. Uh, a lot of it was you know, anti-war, anti-racism, anti-sexism, basically talking a lot of shit about our culture and being really real about it, but presenting it in a, a very, very palatable sci-fi way that a lot of people actually apparently still didn't get. Now, specifically the episode The Shelter was one that kind of, kind of touches on uh, the uh, the fallout shelter aspect that we talked about. In this episode, uh, one neighbor has built his fallout shelter. The others, you know, they're going to get to it. They've been talking about it. They're, you know, they're not against it, but they haven't done it yet. One day they start to hear the sirens. And the ones that built the shelter immediately go into their shelter. But everybody else who 
had not thought to build their shelter, all of a sudden they want in. Now, the problem is they only had enough food and water for their family. So it really became this uh, really became this us against them situation to the point where the neighbors broke down the shelter so that nobody would be safe. This is the uh, what is it? Is it crabs or is it frogs or crickets or something that if you put them all in a bowl or some shit, a boiling a boiling pot of water and they try to get out, they'll climb over each other instead of working together. A lot of commentary on that one uh, that really touches. I, I feel like that was a very well done episode that really touches a lot of what the atomic age really does represent. Now, some of the best sci-fi came from the atomic age. Let's talk about them. If you haven't seen them, you need to see them. That is one that absolutely holds up. So we're talking 1950s. We're talking classic black and white horror. This is the one where the giant ants come to life because they were irradiated and they come back and they and then they fucking fucking start wreaking havoc on this town. Fucking brilliant. A lot of these elements really, uh, you know, they show up in the Fallout games, too. There was one mission I remember, I think it was in Fallout 3, uh, where a bunch of giant ants showed up and uh, I think they called the mission They or some shit like that. It was definitely a rip on them. Now, one of my favorite writers, Harlan Ellison, wrote a series of short stories. One of them was A Boy and His Dog. A lot of Mad Max, a lot of Fallout, takes a lot from this one. A Boy and His Dog is, uh, you know, it's it's post-apocalyptic. takes place in uh, 2024, actually, so we're getting close to that one. Basically, where a young kid who has basically grown up in the nuclear apocalypse, uh, and he's got a best friend who's a dog, and they can telepathically communicate with each other. It's fucking gnarly. Uh, they go into the vault system. They go into like the societies that live underground that survived, and they, you know, they 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 still keep this really 1950s like everything is going to be great. Everything is leave it to Beaver shit going on. Very very interesting if you haven't seen it you should if you haven't read it you should you should read it and then you should watch it anything honestly harlan ellison is one of my favorite writers he's absolutely fantastic and then i think the greatest dark comedy to ever come out came from the atomic age dr strange love or how i learned to stop worrying and love the bomb uh you can't get any more classic dark comedy than this. Uh, Stanley Kubrick at his absolute peak. Peter Sellers plays three separate roles, including the president of the United States. But basically what happens is a crazy base commander goes insane and sends a squadron of planes to bomb Russia with nukes because he's gone fucking wackadoodle. But there's this whole system of checks and balances that were put into place that stop the U.S. from communicating with the plane. And so they spend this whole situation trying to stop the, trying to figure out, you know, like all these, all these uh, politicians and bureaucrats trying to stop what's going to be nuclear devastation because it turns out the Russians have at this point invented a machine called the doomsday device where if a nuke goes off, the entire world is destroyed. It's fantastic. Uh, some of the best lines in cinema have come from this from this movie. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. <laughs> I fucking love it. I fucking love it. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. It is the best dark comedy to ever grace the silver screen. So that is the weirdness that is the Atomic Age. Um, I guess like, you know, like I said up top, technically we are still living in some form or another of the Atomic Age. 
Nuclear weapons are still an extremely prevalent threat. Uh, and even nuclear energy has had its share of misfires over the years. Chernobyl in Ukraine, Three Mile Island here in the U.S. But those will have to wait until future episodes. Thanks for getting weird with me. Don't forget, if you're watching on YouTube, give me a like, give me a follow. Uh, if you're listening, don't forget to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Those really help the show. Shoot me an email at weirdwidepodcast at gmail.com. Join me next week for the next installment of Strangeness. And until then, make sure to keep it weird. <laughs>